Hello and welcome to Built for Earth, where we are spotlighting innovators taking on climate change. My name is Sam Beskin, and today our guest joining the show is Nate Kirchhofer, founder and CEO of BioZen Batteries. BioZen Batteries is developing an organic electrolyte fluid for batteries intended to mimic the energy storage process of plants. Most commercialized battery technologies currently require precious earth minerals, including but not limited to lithium, cobalt, nickel, and vanadium. Oftentimes sourced unethically, these minerals have legitimate supply chain concerns. Therefore, battery technologies made from abundant, sustainable materials have the potential to play a major role in the energy transition. Nate Kirchhofer, an experienced physical electrochemist, co-founded the company in 2019. He received his PhD in 2016 and has been a part of two acquired startups prior to developing the foundation for BioZen. Now, the company is in the process of commercializing their technology with support from respected institutions, including the Los Angeles Cleantech Incubator and the UC Santa Barbara Incubator. Welcome to the show, Nate. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, let's dive right in. Um, the first thing I want to tune into is what does it actually mean to mimic the energy storage process of plants? Well, that's a great first question. So the story I like to tell is, you know, if you look outside, you see green plants everywhere and the way they transduce energy, the way they store energy is they absorb sunlight. They use that light energy to split water and form carbon carbon bonds. And so if you look inside of a green plant, by and large, its technology is small organic semiconducting molecules. So we're talking about like lots of little benzene rings stuck together in these what are known as heterocyclic aromatic compounds. And plants are orders of magnitude more abundant than all other organisms on Earth. So if we look at the way that nature is you know, storing energy and, and using energy conversion is all through this organic chemistry. And so we can take a lesson from that and say, this is the thing that's sustainable. Plants are not using metal to store energy. They're using organic compounds and light to form carbon-carbon bonds and store energy. So in a lot of ways, the leaves of the plant are like solar panels and the rest of the plant is like the battery. And we need to take a hint. That's great to hear. And um, so the, the battery technology that you guys are developing an electrolyte fluid for um, that is made out of these organic compounds you just talked about is a redox flow battery. Now, many of the listeners might not be familiar with redox flow batteries. And so would you be able to just dive into what makes this operationally different from a traditional lithium ion battery? Yeah, absolutely. So one key differentiator is that the energy is stored in tanks of fluid rather than the solid state. So in a lithium ion battery, you know, the lithium ions are moving around in there and they're stored in either something like nickel manganese cobalt oxide on the cathode uh, or, you know, there's lithium iron phosphate. But that's a solid material where these ions are going in. And then there's a little bit of fluid in there. But um, the, the new thing is like solid solid lithium batteries, lithium is plating on the other side in a solid state. So lithium ion batteries are solid. Flow batteries store the energy in fluid. And it's, it's our compounds that I was talking about dissolved at high concentration in ideally water, it could be a different solvent, but we're pursuing water. And those tanks of fluid, there's both a positive and a negative side, 
they flow through a central cell in the middle of the battery where charge transfer happens. And so ions go across a membrane and there's two electrodes. And so in a lot of ways, flow batteries are actually a lot like fuel cells. And because of that, the energy density and the power are decoupled as well, which is a huge advantage. And so I think the easiest way to describe that is like, you can think of the central cell with the electrodes that the size of those electrodes is proportional to the amount of power that the battery can output. But then the size of the tanks of fluid is proportional to the energy that can be produced. And so that's not true in a lithium ion battery where the lithium is both the reactant and the electrode. And so we get these nice advantages where we can actually tune this, the size and scale of the battery to a specific application. So there's a bunch of, a bunch of different things, but um, flow batteries, yeah, they, they are storing energy in liquid and they act a lot like a fuel cell. Thanks for diving into um, that technology a little bit. And so what BioZen's doing is you guys are developing an electrolyte. You guys aren't physically building the tanks or the central chamber where that energy combination is happening. Um, Correct. So what, what is the role of the electrolyte in the redox flow battery? Is that the fluid that's flowing through or um, can you just make sure we clarify that yeah, it is it is the fluid that's flowing through and it has two purposes one of them is it's ionically conductive which is the same thing as that what you see you know when you think about gatorade or something you hear like oh yeah it replenishes your electrolytes and that's true um in gatorade it is the sodium ions and you know other salts that are in there that help your body keep conducting ions but in our case the fluid is also redox active, which means it can accept and give up electrons. And that's the, the core piece that allows it to participate in energy storage. So not only is it ionically conductive, it's electrically conductive, and it can store electrons and give them up at will um, on both sides of the battery. So these two fluids are, uh, you know, there's a positive and negative, like I said, but they're rechargeable. So they're, they're reversibly giving up these electrons without decomposing. Wow. And the fact that you guys are building something that is organic that can do that is, is pretty neat. Um, and so building off of that, it, Biozen batteries are, are different from a traditional redox flow battery. You guys are doing something very innovative with your technology. Um, and can you describe you know, what a traditional redox flow battery uses as their electrolyte versus what, um, you know, Nate Kirchhofer and Biozen batteries are doing. Yeah, so the traditional flow battery uses a vanadium solution. So it's, vanadium is a, uh, an element on the periodic table. Um, and it, you know, actually works pretty well, um, but it's typically dissolved in acid, like pure acid. Um, could be a, a mixed acid like uh, sulfuric and hydrochloric um, or just pure sulfuric acid. So you can imagine that's a little bit tough to handle and creates some additional engineering challenges. So what's cool about this, though, to answer your question, is we're not doing something that's wildly different. So our fluid should be able to fit to first order directly inside the architecture of, say, a vanadium flow battery without changing very much. It will give us some advantages in the long term because because our compound is less toxic and less caustic, you know, you don't have to use as a high grade of a material to contain this solution because, you know, the vanadium solution is toxic and therefore pretty difficult to remediate. 
if you know something goes wrong or you need to decommission a battery and it's also super expensive so the vanadium you know vanadium requires mining which means that it has to come from places where there are you know vanadium sources which means there's like a geopolitical and geographic constraint there um but yeah it's also something like 50 to 60 percent of the cost of a flow battery at, at present and so we are reducing that cost by about 75 percent which means that going from it goes from 50 to 60 percent to something like 12 to 15 or sorry 12 to yeah 12 to 15 percent um so wow i guess that's not that's not perfect math but it it improves the margin on the battery dramatically to summarize there seems to be many dis many advantages of using an organic electrolyte over vanadium, namely cost, um, as well as abundance and and a lack of, uh, you know, the need to go mine your, your compounds. Um, now, I presume that there would also be, you know, maybe a trade-off. Why is vanadium being used primarily? Um, what what's you know strategic advantages does or technological advantages does vanadium have over um what biozen batteries is developing as of right now i think one of the key ones that will come to fruition in the really long term is that vanadium doesn't really break down so it doesn't degrade um and that's because you know it's basically vanadium atoms dissolved in this acid and an atom is pretty hard to break down unless you have, you know, like a nuclear reactor or something. <laughs> and so the, the material is very robust. And as you can probably surmise from organic compounds, you know, and plants and things like organic compounds tend to break down. Um, sometimes they're air sensitive. Sometimes they, you know, degrade in sunlight and things like this. We're trying to make our compounds as robust as possible, but they will almost certainly not have quite as long of a lifetime. Um, and I think that might be a disadvantage. It's tough to say at this point, because the other aspect about our material is that as the circular carbon economy comes online, like as we're able to capture CO2 and synthesize compounds out of CO2, we will actually be able to have our compounds be a net carbon sink. Um, so, you know, it's like a second life for carbon dioxide and methane and things like this. Um, so I, that you don't get that out of vanadium. So I don't know in the long term exactly uh, what to say about that, but I yeah. think that's how I would differentiate. I think, I th no, that's super helpful, and I think that um, you know time will tell, and and hopefully you know the the way the markets move are on biozen side. Um, and one thing is traditionally redox flow batteries. You you just touched on how. Um, flow batteries that use vanadium might have a little longer lifetime in present terms compared to your um, organic flow batteries. But both should have longer lifetimes than lithium-ion batteries, if I'm, not, if, if I'm correct. Um, can you explain why that might be the case? Yeah, so lithium-ion batteries, the way that they work is there's, there's also an electrolyte inside the lithium-ion, but it's only an ionic conductor. And what happens as you cycle the battery over time is that that electrolyte actually reacts with the lithium, making what's called a solid electrolyte interface or interphase uh, inside the battery. And that's actually a non-reactive layer that 
contributes to the degradation of that battery over time. So it makes it less and less effective over time. And that doesn't happen inside these flow batteries. Like we don't, we don't get any weird layers forming. Um, yeah. So moving on the, the materials that BioZen uses to make their electrolyte are organic materials. We've talked about, you know, them mimicking plants, but does that mean you're actually going out and, you know, grabbing some leaves and bushes and stuff or, you know, <laughs> how, how are you guys, um, going to, you know, <laughs> right. So, so wh where are you guys getting your materials from and how will you scale production? Yeah. So we're, we're synthesizing these in a fume hood in the, in the chemistry lab. Um, you know, and right now what we do is we get on Sigma Aldrich or Fisher scientific or something and order the starting materials, <clears throat> which, you know, we've designed to be extremely inexpensive starting materials that are very abundant. And what that means is that they, these materials are easily sourced. And a lot of times, at present, they're actually byproducts of uh, the petroleum industry, which is interesting. You know, petroleum gets a, a really bad rap, and it should because burning fossil fuels is the major contributor to climate change that humans are doing. And the thing that I want to comment about that is all of these high value compounds, you know, like plastics and the sort of compounds that we're working on, if you were to plot the amount of you know, carbon being used, the plastics and things like this wouldn't even show up on the graph. They would be like the size of the line of the graph. And that's just, I just want to address that because like, yes, these compounds could probably at this point be sourced back to the petroleum industry, but it's, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the actual problem, which is burning fossil fuels. Like when we're doing high value compounds, pharmaceuticals, plastics, things like what we're working on, a lot of that stuff comes from byproducts of the petroleum industry, and it has to because, you know, that's a robust infrastructure that we have. But I have a vision towards the future where we are able to participate in the, the circular carbon economy. So we're cooking these chemicals up in the fume hood, you know, doing, you know, advanced chemical reactions. And uh, that's nice because that scales anywhere. All you need is a lab or a plant anywhere on Earth, and you can make our compounds. You don't need a mine to extract lithium or extract vanadium or something, which is, you know, those can only be done in certain locations. No doubt. And to your point about, um, you know, the, the fact that your compounds might be traced back to fossil fuels, um, let's just remind ourselves of what the BioZen batteries are doing. Hopefully they'll be storing energy from renewable sources in the future, in in which case we wouldn't need to burn fossil fuels to exactly. to power, um, you know, our entire society. Um, I think it's also, you know, there there may be a little bit of an embodied emission, um, but with long lifetimes, you know, it's that that's very negligible compared to the amount of emissions you're abating from from you know potential fossil fuels otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I, and I don't like to, you know, misrepresent things, right? Like I've always been sort of, you know, we're going to let the science talk and that's the fact, right? Like when you use a plastic product, you're using a petroleum product, but we need plastic everywhere. Plastic is a super awesome engineering material and we're doing the same thing, right? We're making a super awesome energy storage material using the technology that we currently have so that we can move away from burning fossil fuels. That's the critical, critical outcome that needs to happen. Absolutely. Well, 
Now, as, as to move away from those fossil fuels, you know, we need to commercialize these te technologies at some point. And obviously, there's, you know, a technological ramp up to get to that point. But do you guys at BioZen Batteries have any commercial projects currently planned? Um, and if not, or if so, who do you foresee being your biggest customers? Great question. So we are developing partnerships right now. Um, we're pretty early still. I would say if you're familiar with the um, technology readiness level or TRL designations, I think NASA came up with those. I would put us at about a TRL three, which means that we're still doing you know lab scale um, proof of concept testing with like small prototypes. Um, <clears throat> that said, we do have our first customer figured out, which is a team in Zurich that's working on a unique flow cell design. So we're going to be shipping them material soon, probably in the next month. And we're, you know, about to submit a provisional patent and, you know, getting things underway. So I did found this company in 2019, but it was a side project for me for a long time. So I've only been working on this full time for about a year and we're really starting to see the, the fruits of the labor um, have happen here. So, yeah, I have a bunch of actually locally here in Santa Barbara, where we're based, um, I have a bunch of pilot customers lined up. So once we actually have some cells that are a little bit bigger, you know, on the kilowatt scale, uh, I think we'll be able to integrate into a few different microgrids that exist here. There's avocado and lemon orchards and solar microgrids being installed on top of schools and things like that, where we could, you know, have, really get our, uh, our, our some steel in the ground, so to speak in this beachhead market. Santa Barbara is a great beachhead market, by the way, because it's on the end of the transmission line, which means we, like if the power gets cut coming from LA, Montecito, Santa Barbara, Goleta all lose power. So it's a pretty critical load, so to speak. No doubt. And just, just for our listeners, can you um, elaborate on what a beachhead market means? Oh yeah. Um, I just mean like where you get started by that. So gotcha. beachhead being like kind of where you, where you land. Um, right. I think that's what that word means. Uh, <laughs> it's that kind of like, that makes sense. So, you know, it, it's, it's important. It's a, you, Santa Barbara is a great place for BioZen to be started because, um, because of what you just talked about, it's at the end of the transmission lines. And so if there's any grid reliability concerns or shutdown or something like that, it would be important to have energy storage mechanisms so that the community can, can, continue to do what a community does that's exactly right we need to keep hospitals online but we also you know people are adamant about wanting solar and renewable energy but you cannot just put solar panels on the grid you have to have complementary battery storage because just pumping that voltage into the grid would destabilize it so right. i think that's a a thing that not everyone knows you know you can't in in a, on a large scale just put solar into the grid so it, right, you know, right. having the battery helps, helps with the resilience as well. Yeah, no doubt. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That, um, that's super interesting. So, you know, as you have some of these pilot projects come online and, you know, customer in Zurich, you know, do you, do you anticipate that as you guys scale, your technology will become cost competitive with other forms of grid scale energy storage? And, you know, what, what kind of will enable you to meet that threshold? Definitely. I think the critical thing, which I maybe alluded to earlier is that because our electrolyte is so much cheaper than the vanadium, 
that brings the entire cost of a flow battery down on par with say like a lithium ion cell. And then because the lifetime is quite a bit longer, what you end up seeing is a lower, what's called levelized cost of storage or of energy. Um, and that, what that means is like how much do the rate payers pay over time? Like how much does it actually cost to deploy a hundred megawatt hours of energy over the lifetime of the battery or however, however much it ends up being. Um, so that's, that's really what it is, is we, you know, I'm an environmentalist, but you have to lower the cost of things right. for them to be, come to fruition because we live in a capitalist society, right? So we have to play that game, but also with an eye towards the goal. It's really about cost. That's going to let us compete. And I think you might've touched on this a little bit earlier, but do you foresee your, you know, if you're able to incorporate incorporate your electrolyte into a flow battery do you foresee that being utilized by utilities or private corporations or who who do you kind of see being the end user yeah i think utilities have to be sort of our our starting point like the really large scale things because we're most well suited for that you know the um the economies of scale are really advantageous you know so for like lithium-ion batteries each a lot of times people don't know this, but each lithium-ion battery, there's what's called an 18650 as the single unit inside. An 18650 is like a cylindrical cell. like a, It looks like a Duracell battery. It's a little bit bigger. But that's the unit of a lithium-ion battery. And each one of those can discharge for about four hours before it, you, know, you, you start needing to have more cells in order to have a longer duration. And... That makes the marginal costs of lithium-ion batteries pretty bad for larger scale installations. Like, sure, you could make a 10-hour discharge lithium-ion battery, but you just need two and a half times the number of batteries. And so now it's overbuilt, which means it's more expensive to solve the problem you need. And right. so it's really, that's where we really need these flow batteries. I think ultimately, as things progress, we may get to the point where you could have one in your garage, but that would be the absolute like smallest unit would be sort of like a Tesla Powerwall, like a 10 kilowatt system, something like that. Yeah. Something on that order. So, 10 kilowatts so, would be the smallest. Yeah. So to just to kind of put it into, you know, everyday terms, how big are we talking these tanks could be? Could they be the size of, you know, a water cooler are they the size of like a you know 10 foot cube or you know what 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 exactly is the limit to you know how much energy a, a flow battery can be stored yeah i think that's a great question i get that question a lot actually um the form factor for one of these is probably something like a mini fridge to a regular refrigerator um Got it. i would say it's probably closer to a mini fridge and part of the reason is, you know, we have two tanks of liquid and there are power electronics and a battery battery management system and some secondary containment, right? We, you know, like if God forbid there's a earthquake and it cracks open or something, we want to make sure we contain it. Um, it is much less toxic than these heavy metal things, but you still don't want to spill it. It's like bleach, right? You have bleach under your sink. You don't want to pour bleach all over the place, even though it's you know, right. a household <laughs> compound, right? So <laughs> it's the same sort of idea. Um, but yeah, Gosh. I would say something like a refrigerator is what it would be. So it's a little bit bigger than, you know, like a Tesla Powerwall, which is very yeah. bleak against the wall. But it's, you know, 
you need it's not a little bit of not an space. enormous eyesore or anything like that no but, no exactly exactly well well cool so kind of moving towards a little bit more of your personal experience what have you learned in the founding process and if you can share any fun stories or if there's you know one memorable fact for listeners to take away from this episode um mm. what would it be i guess i kind of coupled three or four I would questions say, you know founding a company is yeah that's okay yeah i would i would say founding a company is really hard i you know you watch tv or something you watch silicon valley and you're like oh wow this is really glorious and most of the time it's not really glorious it's hard and there are days where it's it's paralyzing you know like i don't know what to work on today because i have to wear all the hats right i do the R and D. I communicate what the results are i work on the patent i work on our grant applications i talk to customers all of it you know if we have marketing and marketing activities i do that um and it's it's really hard you know but i think we sort of have like the, the classic fun story where we literally did our first experiments in the garage. We like looked up a, a science paper, you know, like an academic publication and replicated it in the garage. And then we realized like, oh, these, these compounds in this paper that they really, they're claiming these things are great. They actually don't work as well as they say, you know, they were too expensive and the performance wasn't as good. And that's because, you know, we didn't know how to do that. I'm a, I'm an electrochemist. And my co-founder, you know, he's a chemist. And then I have another guy as well. So there's three of us. Um, I'm the only one that's full-time. But I would say, yeah, that's that's really the 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 lesson is just you got you like you need to have a long-term vision for it because it's it's a lot of work for a long time. And if you're not focused on a higher purpose for it it can seem really daunting, right? You know, like our long, my long-term goal is I hope these batteries come into existence and exist well beyond my lifetime and your lifetime. You know, I mean, if we do it right, they will be truly sustainable to produce. And that's kind of a crazy thing, right? Like I'm trying to do something that will outlive me. And I hope it does. But that's pretty, yeah. pretty badass, Nate. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, it's also important to recognize you're, you know, a lot of people found companies, a lot of people don't found companies, but what we're trying to highlight on Built for Earth is people who are taking on hard tech solutions. That means you're not building software where you can, you know, software is obviously a critical component of the energy transition. Um, and, we'll, you know, will facilitate a lot of different things, but, you know, your company, you're building something physical. And I think that also brings a different challenge along with it. Um, and so, you know, while your founding process is, is difficult, you're choosing a, a meaningful, difficult problem that, that has, you know, like you said, a potential to change the world. So that's super, super exciting. Appreciate you saying that. I think it's, uh, it's pretty easy to make a minimum viable product for software stuff, but you know, for like in our case, we have to synthesize a compound that's never existed in the age of the universe and then isolate it from the rest of the universe and test its properties, which is like a, a bit of a different <laughs> undertaking. So yeah, that's, I appreciate you sh shouting that out. Hardware is hard. Physical things are challenging and they take more time no, and more resources. So no doubt, but they'll, they'll absolutely be critical to the energy transition and, and, you know, making our world sustainable. So um, one of the intended audiences of the podcast is 
college-age individuals like myself um, or you know, young professionals who want to get involved in slowing down global warming, um, if you were to, about to enter the workforce as an individual with these motivations, you know, where would you start? Gosh, um, that's a great question. I think there are a lot of jobs out there and I don't want to, there, there's one thing I want to say that I, I don't want to discredit the fact that like having a job coming out of college is super valuable, even if it's not exactly what you studied or exactly where you want to end up getting a little bit of money in the bank, paying off your loans and getting some experience. What, even if it's, even if it's negative, meaning like, oh, wow, I realize I really don't want to do this can actually be super valuable. And, you know, even for a couple of years, even if you want to go to grad school, I would actually recommend to most people to like work for a couple of years and then apply to grad school if they can, um, if that's part of the options. But, you know, if you have flexibility and you have access to different companies, I would actually, you know, look up the company's vision and mission and see how they're aligned. Because there are a lot of companies these days where, you know, part of their purpose is to be carbon negative or, you know, even though it might be a software company, they part of their ethos is being environmentalist. And I think... You know, we vote with our energy and our actions, right? So if you're doing work, you're spending 40 hours a week doing something, that energy that you're putting in is going towards the larger vision of a company, right? So to me, it would be talk to some of the people at that company that are doing the real work. Talk to the CEO if you can get in to a meeting with that person. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about it too. I don't think you have to be doing hard tech like what I'm doing. I think even if you're on you know, the marketing side of something, you know, or communications about a product of any sort, the way that you talk about it can make a difference, right? You, if you're, if you're focused only on the bottom line and the financials of something, it's easy to neglect the environmental aspect. And I think even individually, we can have an impact in that way, like through small actions that we take, you know, they add up. It's not like, I mean, we know that the big corporations are the ones that are polluting the most, right? So we can, we can only do small things ourselves, but the way that we go about it can be, can be powerful in that way. So yeah, your question, how would you start? I mean, to me, that's the, the easiest place to change something is inside it by participating in it, right? And so yeah. even if you end up somewhere that you're, like, ah, oh, this isn't my final, you know, career path, you can still make an impact there. Absolutely. I, I really like that last point you, you made about, you know, the, the biggest way to have an impact is inside of something. And, um, you know, I recently read Matthew McConaughey's book, which, you know, has nothing to do with the environment or climate change or anything. But one, one of the main quotes he has in that book is be less impressed and more involved. And so, you know, if you're impressed with a company, maybe one that's, you know, featured on Built for Earth or anything, you know, reach out to these people or reach out to me. Um, and I think that's, that's just like you said, Nate, getting involved is the first step and is, is something that is, you know, it takes a leap of faith, but it's what enables, you know, plentiful futures for you. Um, so super, super great answer. I really appreciate your, your perspective. Um, 
And just to kind of close this out, what is what is a fun fact not about Nate, the founder, the, the physical electrochemist or the CEO, but about Nate, the person? Yeah, so I, I actually have two fun facts for you. Um, one of them is that I have my own podcast, which is called Beyond Lithium. That's hosted by BioZen Batteries. Um, so big shout out to doing this. I think it's really critical to get information out into the world and i like to say a rising tide raises all boats because in energy storage we need all the types of batteries we can get i am rooting for lithium ion i'm rooting for other types of energy storage because we need 200x the amount of batteries that we have right now to get to 90 percent renewable energy by 2035 which is what our society's goal should be and then my uh other fun fact is that i play professional ultimate frisbee for the los angeles aviators um i've been playing ultimate frisbee for about 21 years and that's a nice uh side project for me it's a good way to de-stress you know uh keeps me in the gym and you know i always think exercise is a good way to uh stay sane these days so that that's absolutely a fun fact and you have a new los angeles aviators fan in me um and um that's super exciting what what's what's your game what's your go-to on uh on the field is you know are you field? are you a, what, what's your skill set like yeah so i i play defense um because defense wins games offense just has to do their job so it's a little bit different than say like basketball because once the defense gets a block well, I mean, I guess it is kind of has similarities too. Once the defense gets a block, you're immediately on offense, just like in basketball. So you take possession. Um, but my skill set is uh, I'm a pretty talented thrower. So once we, once my my squad on defense gets a turnover on their on the other team's offense, I typically am like distributing the disc or trying to, you know, throw bigger passes to receivers. Um, ideally, throw goals so that we can win the game. Um, well, there it is. Uh, Nate Kirchhofer, the podcaster, competitor extraordinaire, CEO and founder of Bios and Batteries. Um, thank you for, for those fun facts. And we'll be tuning in to both Beyond Lithium and LA Aviator Games. And that concludes today's episode. I want to first say thank you to Nate the Great, um, who is a physical electrochemist, the CEO and founder of Bios and Batteries. The work you're doing is is critical to the energy transition. If you liked this episode of Built for Earth, please subscribe, leave a review. Follow us on social media at Built Number Four Earth to stay up to date on startups slowing down global warming like BioZen batteries. Until next time, this is Sam Beskin signing off.